2: Welcome to episode 21 of the Pro Wrestling Index on the Anfield Index Podcast Network. I'm your host, Matt Topolsky, and once again, we have a loaded schedule of news for all of our listeners this week on the podcast. Joining me, as always, is my co-commentating colleague, the expert analyst, Mo Chatra. Mo, how you doing, my friend?
3: That's quite the introduction. Thank you, Matt. Yeah, I'm doing very good. And uh, how are you doing?
2: I'm doing great, man. You know, coming off of uh, a big weekend for myself personally and everybody involved in Reality of Wrestling, want to give them a shout-out for our big debut from Texas City at our brand-new World's Gym Arena. And uh, everybody will be able to see the video and the episodic television we shot there this past weekend very soon at realityofwrestling.com. But if you go there right now, you can see some clips um and some pictures as well from that big event. So uh, I'm I'm doing very well, man. And uh and we have a lot of news to talk about as well, and I'm excited to talk about it.
3: Don't we have a quite quite the uh quite the uh busy week and quite the eventful one, that's for sure.
2: Yeah, there's no doubt about it. So uh, let's get right into it. Uh, you know, for weeks and months, really, we've been talking about uh, the future of Daniel Bryan. A lot of rumors and conjecture and news and stories and Bryan tweeting at WWE and saying, can you please clear me already? And Daniel Bryan going to several different doctors and neurologists, trying to be cleared, sports medicine experts, even though WWE's doctor would not clear him. And then we hear this news, this breaking news, which comes out just a day uh, actually, the, the day of Monday Night Raw, if I'm not mistaken, uh, early in the morning from Daniel Bryan saying that um, he's retiring effective immediately and that he will have more details about it and will elaborate further on Monday Night Raw. It, was, it set shockwaves uh, through the wrestling community, and there are a lot of people wondering, you know, was this going to be a work? Was this some kind of storyline? But um, as it turns out, Daniel Bryan, just a few days prior to this, this has now been confirmed both by, you know, other reports and then what he talked about on Monday Night Raw, went to see yet another neurologist in New York City. Uh, He was advanced in this area of sports medicine and concussions. Some advanced concussion testing was done on Daniel Bryan, and it was determined that he could not be cleared. And so Daniel Bryan made the decision that he was going to retire from WWE, which led us into the big retirement announcement that he made on Monday Night Raw this past week. Uh, What was your general reaction, your first impressions, Mo, when when you heard the news that Daniel Bryan was going to be retiring?
3: Well, my initial reaction was that it might be a work. (laughs) You're in the business, and I've been in the business in the past, and um, when we're around the wrestling business your initial reaction to these types of things as well it must be work unless proven otherwise and I thought okay they've got Wrestlemania coming up they're desperately short of um, superstars to uh, really make an impact and make Wrestlemania a special show and um, all of a sudden he's making this announcement when all we'd been hearing was he's been passing test after test um, outside of the WWE testing. Um, So it seemed a bizarre story and it didn't make sense to me. Um, But then as we got more information – Um, then it all started to make complete sense in that, as you mentioned, he had some further testing a couple of weeks ago, um, this new, more comprehensive form of um, concussion testing, and that actually showed that um, he does have some um, limited degree of brain damage and he made the decision that he doesn't want to allow that condition to deteriorate in any way, and that it'd be in his best interest to uh, retire it with immediate effect.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And Daniel Bryan went on Sports Center here in the U.S. on ESPN, uh, and it was, it's it's a show that's hosted every week on Sports Center, a segment hosted by Jonathan Coachman, formerly of WWE, of course. And Daniel Bryan dropped another bombshell. In this interview, and he basically explained that another thing that helped make his decision for him was the fact that, and he had been hiding it from everyone, that he was dealing with and suffering from post-concussion seizures. Uh, When I heard this news, I couldn't have been more grateful at WWE doctors not to clear him. It was proven that WWE did learn from the lessons of history from guys like Chris Benoit and the things that, that he went through and put his family through uh, as a result of concussions that he sustained and traumatic brain brain injury in the past. Um, when I heard that, it was a very, very scary thing. The fact that this man had been hiding uh, the fact that he was suffering seizures as a result of his time in the ring. Very, very scary
3: stuff. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, the the scary thing is is that this is probably not an isolated incident, I think, I suspect, There are many, many talents within the business um, that can say the same thing, that they have um, had multiple concussions and have had some quite scary situations, and they've kept those situations to themselves um, for fear of um, not having um, contracts with companies like the WWE or other major promotions around the world. And that's certainly not in their best interest, but um, a lot of these guys think, well, If I have to stop doing this, what am I going to do next? And the good thing with Daniel Bryan is financially, I'm sure um, he's been very wise with his money. He's earned well in the last uh, five or six years in particular, and I'm sure he's um, set himself up financially um, for the foreseeable future, whereas there are many talents who – um, aren't in that kind of position and very much survive um, from day to day, week to week. And the money comes and the money goes. And um, maybe those other talents out there feel um, if they disclose such kind of um, issues with their health that um, their um, opportunities around the business could become very, very limited.
2: Yeah. And Daniel Bryan doesn't strike me as the type of guy that lives outside of his means either. So. Uh, I think from that that aspect he'll be okay. And you
3: well, can tell that from his dress sense. He, he a bit like uh, Mick Foley doesn't seem to spend much when it comes to uh, sartorial uh, elegance.
2: Yeah, I guess the the only difference being that a shirt will fit Daniel Bryan just a, a little bit better than it would Mick Foley, but uh, <laughs> yeah, otherwise I'd have to agree with you, especially their 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 love for the uh, the, the flannel pattern. Uh, mm. seems to be something they both enjoy as well. Um, but it was a very eloquent speech, and I have to give WWE credit. You know, we're, we're all critical uh, of WWE from time to time because of a multitude of reasons. But um, I think that they did something that was very, very classy. They gave Daniel Bryan a half an hour, basically, to tell um, wrestling fans around the world, the WWE universe, if you will. Uh, just how he felt about his time in the ring, about the wrestling fans. And um, they gave him an opportunity to ride off into the sunset in the best possible way that he could under these circumstances. And I thought it was very classy of them. As a matter of fact, um, here on the USA Network, which Raw is broadcast on in the U.S., um, the USA Network actually ran over 25 minutes for Daniel Bryan to continue his speech and then continued coverage Uh, on the WWE Network after they went off the air on the USA Network. So uh, we got to see everything Daniel Bryan had to say, convey his feelings. And I think the biggest takeaway from all of it is that unlike the Edge speech in which uh, when Edge was announcing his retirement, to me, it felt like he was still going through the stages of grief, still coming to terms with the fact that this was actually happening. And so you felt so gutted for Edge because he was so gutted. He... Was still trying to process what was happening. Daniel Bryan, although it was a sad moment, uh, seemed like he had was much more at peace with the decision, and that he had enough time to really process it and come to terms with the fact that um, okay, I've had 16 years in this business. Uh, The last few years in WWE have been great. I've accomplished just about everything that I possibly can, and although I'd love to do more, um, it's just not in the cards for me, and it's time to move on and and move in another direction. And I felt like he was at peace with that decision. Did you feel the same way?
3: I did, yes. Um, But what was also interesting is that – I watched one of his interviews um, from WWE's YouTube uh, channel and he talked about how um, during Raw itself um, and even before the show, um, he'd spoken with one talent after another after another. And he'd, by the time he actually came out at the end of Raw, he he was all out of tears. <laughs> he cried so much, even with the likes of Ryback. Um, you know, he had... Um, um, Quite a tearful exchange with him, um, you know, reminiscing about um, their days together, and uh, it sounded like uh, by the time he got out there, um, you know, he was done crying and uh, there were no more tears left. Um, and you know, that, that said, it was a it was a very emotional uh, moment. Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer called it the greatest um, segment of wrestling television history, I think, uh, which is really high praise. Um, but it really, really was amazing television. Um, a guy who should never have become as popular as he did um, and against all the odds became this huge, huge superstar um, pouring his heart out. And, you know, that was another thing which really kind of um, hit home to me that it was a guy who wasn't reading off a script, who wasn't, um, regurgitating lines that uh, uh, had been scripted by one of three dozen different writers speaking from the heart, speaking spontaneously uh, and with real emotion and it was such a difference to what we always hear in promo after promo, week after week on Raw. And I I just hope the WWE can learn from that and think, okay, maybe we should allow more of that, more of um, people being able to go out there and say what they feel, because something like that resonates more with an audience. And, uh, you know, it's one of those promos that, um, you know, will live long in the memory.
2: Yeah, you know, I have to echo those sentiments completely. It's funny because WWE has claimed that what we're in right now is the, quote, reality era. End quote, And um, that, to me, was as real as we've seen anything on Raw in many, many years. Now, it's unfortunate the circumstances that presented that realism to us, but I, I hope that we see more of that in the product. I agree with you 100%. Uh, that that's what you want. You want to be emotionally invested in these characters. That's the point of having these characters in the first place is to be emotionally invested in them. And it's very difficult to do that when the characters that are being presented and the dialogue that they are presenting is contrived and overscripted. And I feel like that's been one of the biggest problems that WWE and more specifically Monday night raw has had for, for very many years. And Whenever you have those rare moments, the Daniel Bryan speech, the CM Punk pipe bomb, the rare moments like that, they're remembered forever. During the Attitude Era, during Ruthless Aggression, those moments happened all the time. And it's what made wrestling so enjoyable to watch. It's what made WWE so enjoyable to watch. And, um, you know, we talked about the reality era being the sterile era. And I, and I think that this was a, a welcome break from it. It's a shame that it had to happen like this, but uh, we need to see more of it. And I think if we do, it'll definitely help Monday night raw. Now here's the big question before we move on from Daniel Bryan. Do you, if you have the opportunity, if you're in charge, if you're holding the book mode, do you induct Daniel Bryan into the WWE hall of fame this year?
3: Absolutely. God, yes. Um, The WWE hall of fame is something we talked about last week. And, our general view was, was that it's quite an underwhelming lineup if the leaks that have come out in the last week and a half, two weeks, are to be believed. And the only real uh, star name that's on the lineup that has been talked about is Sting. Other than that, um, the rest of the names don't really inspire um, anyone into thinking, yes, the WWE Hall of Fame this year is going to be an absolute must see show. But given Daniel Bryan is now retired, given that his career is over, um, it would be absolutely fitting and the timing would be perfect for him to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. And uh, it'd be a great opportunity to see him have another, you know, 20, 30 minutes to talk about his career. Um, You know, he talked about um, um, quite a few sad things. Um, It'd be good for him to go out there, on another occasion, on WrestleMania weekend, and talk about the many positive things about his career, and and, and let's not you know forget the fact that he's had an incredible career, um, and let's pay tribute to uh, his career as well. He is one of the finest talents of the last twenty years. Um, you know, he he's somebody who I came across fifteen years ago in two thousand and one when he took part in a tournament called the King of Indies run by. Uh, uh, promoter out in California called Roland Alexander. Uh, Daniel Bryan, or Brian Danielson, as he was known then, was only 19 years old, only a year into the business. And there were people like Red Bastine and other legends of the business uh, from the 60s and 70s who were in attendance uh, for this King of Indies tournament. And they were just gobsmacked at how incredibly talented this 19-year-old rookie was. And the year after he uh, was one of the founding talents for Ring of Honor and Ring of Honor became probably my first or second most favorite wrestling promotions at that time. And this was at a a time in the business was in a low point because if you remember in 2001, WCW went out of business, ECW went out of business, WWF's attitude era um, started to come to a crashing halt and its popularity plummeted that year. And also even in places like Japan and Mexico, the uh, popularity of wrestling uh, went into sharp decline. So that was a very disappointing time. in 2002, uh, was a much more optimistic year because of a promotion like Ring of Honor pro- um, cropping up and um, delivering some of the most yeah, incredible wrestling, and uh, Daniel Bryan or Brian Danielson, as he was then known, uh, was very, very instrumental in that. And I'd certainly argue that um, in that period, um, from two thousand and two to two thousand and eight nine, um, Brian Danielson was one of the top five or ten best wrestlers on the planet. And some of his work in Ring of Honor was just. Absolutely unbelievable against the likes of Nigel McGuinness, Samoa Joe, Loki, CM Punk, um, AJ Styles. It was just phenomenal, phenomenal wrestling. And um, that's why um, he was brought up to the big show in the first place, despite his size, despite his lack of a physique, um this is what really captured the imagination of people um, who were um, bringing talent through at the WWE, and he got his opportunity, and he ran with it, and uh, he was never supposed to become as popular as he did or as successful as he did, but because of how... Um, the fans were able to connect to him, and he was able to connect with the fans. Um, no matter what the WWE did, they just couldn't suppress his popularity, and um, he became a, a, a truly, truly um, transcendent superstar for the WWE. And it's just a shame they could never embrace that, uh, because if they had, then they could have made even more money out of him. And in a way, and just in closing, and sorry for going rambling on. Um, the only other point i like to make is is that, in a way, this is almost um, a convenient situation that WWE finds itself in because I suspect even if he had been cleared to return, it wouldn't have been any different for him, unfortunately, in that I don't think he would have been elevated beyond um, that B-plus player tag that had been attached to him. I think the WWE never had any interest in truly building itself around Daniel Bryan and uh, the frustrations that many fans had over the last couple of years, they would similarly have felt had he returned and they would have seen him, unfortunately, play second fiddle uh, to the likes of Roman Reigns.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, to a certain extent, I agree. And then to a certain extent, I disagree because they built the entire WrestleMania 30 event around him and it was due to an injury that we never quite got to see what WWE's next plan was going to be for Daniel Bryan with the title as opposed to being a babyface who's chasing the title. That being said, after that injury, when he returned, there were always serious doubts regarding what WWE was going to do and what their plan was for Daniel Bryan. And I think it it created an opening for them to build a star in their vision based on the prototype that they have for a franchise guy vis-a-vis and a Roman Reigns. So in that sense, I would say, yes. So I think Daniel Bryan got his opportunity. Unfortunately, his body couldn't hold up and, uh, and it would have been incredible to see what would have happened for Daniel Bryan in his career. Had he come to WWE a few years earlier, but then again, Who knows if we ever would have got the incarnation of Daniel Bryan that we did for the limited time that we did get him for. Uh, What I would also say in closing on this subject is this. um, Regarding Daniel Bryan, I've been a wrestling fan my entire life. One of my first memories as a child was sitting on my parents' floor and watching WrestleMania three, And I can say with great certainty that Daniel Bryan, without a doubt was one of the most over and one of the most popular superstars that I have ever seen for as long as I have been alive. And whether that, whether that popularity lasted for two years or 20, uh, It it remains that Daniel Bryan will always be one of the biggest superstars in WWE history. So if there's any question whether or not he should be in the WWE Hall of Fame, whether it be this year or sometime down the road, I think that question has been answered. He is definitely worthy of the Hall of Fame. Um, So with that being said, we have to move on and talk about some other news which came out of Monday Night Raw, and that is Titus O'Neil. Now, earlier in the week, it was announced by World Wrestling Entertainment that Titus O'Neil had been suspended for 90 days because of, quote, unprofessional conduct. Just yesterday, that suspension was reduced to 60 days, meaning that Titus O'Neil, a star that WWE has been building up for the last three months to the point where I haven't seen him lose a singles match, He's replaced John Cena on the road as being their number one charitable figure, which appears at hospitals and different charitable events on behalf of WWE. has been suspended long enough that he will now miss WrestleMania, WrestleMania weekend, the week leading up to WrestleMania, and all the press that's involved in it because of, quote, unprofessional conduct. Now, what I can say is that earlier this week it was incorrectly reported by several people that the reason why Titus O'Neil was suspended was because he simply grabbed Vince McMahon's arm and that they were making an example out of Titus O'Neil for other talent. I can now say that the editor-in-chief of the Pro Wrestling Sheet, Ryan Satin, has correctly reported the real reason why this is happening. And that is because when Titus O'Neil grabbed Vince McMahon's arm, he used the phrase, ladies first, when talking about Stephanie McMahon. In addition to that, there have been talents backstage which have been unhappy with Titus O'Neill for various reasons and because of other conduct that has been happening backstage as well regarding Titus. So, with that being said, now that it's out of the way and Ryan Satin has reported that, is 60 days in your mind, Mo, still too harsh a punishment for Titus O'Neill?
3: That's quite interesting. Um, and that's something I wasn't aware of in that. Um about the comments that he had made and uh, also about other things that may have been going on backstage. If if, if these other situations have involved uh, upsetting talent or um, causing issues, um, then they need to be consistent and apply that for all talents. And let's face it, if you go back through not even the history of WWE prior to the 90s, even attitude era in beyond. Um you know, there's always this kind of thing backstage where talents get teased about things or they get ribbed and there's so elements of hazing that goes on and nobody ever gets um uh, suspended for sixty days over things like this. Um I think it's because it involved Vince McMahon um that was a tipping point. And um if there were comments made um and uh Vince didn't like it, then that would certainly suggest that <laughs> Vince doesn't have a sense of humor. Um, and that that was certainly my view at that time. Um, with the comment itself, though, about Ladies First, maybe Vince thought, hold on a second. Um, you know, you can't speak to me like that. I'm the boss of this company. And I can sort of understand that. But ultimately, it, it still seemed like a massive, massive overreaction. I mean, if they really weren't happy with him, they should have just drawn him to one side either after the show or the next day at SmackDown and say, look, in future, don't do stuff like this. I mean, the WWE has made itself look bad because it, it the way it's been reported, um, it, it's commonly perceived that it was just about, um, Vince's arm being pulled and, uh, people obviously have seen the clip on YouTube as well. And, that certainly seems like a very heavy-handed approach, and um, the fact that they've already cut it from 90 to 60 days would almost seem to suggest that WWE itself has recognized that um, its initial punishment was excessive. Um, I'd argue that even 60 days is excessive. I think just a quiet word um, without it ever having been reported on any website, would have been the right way to handle it. And if there were further occurrences, um, then fine, suspend him then. But what I don't know is if they've already had several words with him in recent weeks and he still continued with bad behavior. And that, that's something I'm not aware of. But um, if this was um, the first time he's been formally disciplined, then going straight to a suspension um, certainly would seem heavy-handed to me.
2: Yeah, I mean, one one could argue that it was sort of a knee-jerk reaction, and that's why um, they moved to knock 30 days off the suspension. I think it's, it's, it's a bad move for WWE uh, to suspend him through WrestleMania season simply because of the fact that you're already shorthanded as it is when it comes to talent. And this is a guy that you've been trying to build from the mid card into a single star. Um, my, my fear for Titus O'Neil is now because of this, as a result of this, um, he can pretty much kiss any push goodbye, um, at this point, because it just seems like once you've, um, once you, you've angered specific elements uh, within the company, uh, there's no way back. Uh, I mean, just take a look at Zach Ryder. That'll pretty much tell you everything you need to know. Um, <laughs> or, or Alex Riley, for that matter.
3: Well, that's right. Um, and as you know, his um, primetime player's partner, uh, Darren Young, has already been um, relegated into obscurity um, due to also pissing off certain um, members of uh, the backstage team. So, um yeah, not a good few weeks for the primetime players all round. And, uh, as you say, um, even once he returns, uh, the chances are he won't necessarily be pushed in the way that he had been in, in recent weeks.
2: Uh, here's another interesting element to this story as well. I'm not sure if you're aware of this yet, but um, WrestleChat.net tweeted at Dave Batista, and they said, uh, Big Dave, please make sure to call Stanford and do something about this straight, quote, bullshit treatment of Titus O'Neill, hashtag bring back Titus. Dave Batista quotes the tweet and responds, I did something better. I called Titus O'Neill and told him to ask to be released. Hashtag one life. What do you think of that, of Dave Batista? Do you think Bautista, um is a little bitter about his his previous time in, in WWE. It was even reported recently that Vince asked him to return for WrestleMania, and he turned that down. Uh, do you think there, there's some, some other things going on here regarding Batista?
3: Um, possibly. I mean, obviously, his most recent WWE run um, from a couple of years ago now um, wasn't a particular success. And um, I don't think he was particularly enamored by the way in which the company handled his return. And um, I think that since he um, uh, quit the WWE again um, or just moved on a couple of years back, um, his movie career has really skyrocketed. He's had uh, several high-profile roles, and I'm sure that his um, is um scheduled for the next year or two um will certainly be keeping very very busy and making lots of money um from the movie business so given that situation he probably feels well actually i don't need the wwe anymore and i can say whatever i want and um clearly he has been and uh, that was quite a strange thing to say really um so that certainly seems to suggest that um Bridges, if they haven't been burnt, have certainly been charred. And, um, it's not exactly clear why, but as I say, um, his run in the last, uh, two years back wasn't, uh, the most successful. And maybe he partly blames the WWE for that.
2: Yeah. It's, it's, it's possible. I mean, obviously, Batista's moved on to greener pastures and things have been working out for him. You know, uh, with the, uh, the new 007 Spectre movie out, he's a, Bond villain and that. He's got Guardians of the Galaxy, obviously Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two coming out. So, you know, best of luck to Dave Batista. But I did think it was interesting that uh that he went ahead and, and and tweeted it out. Clearly there's some animosity between he and WWE or animosity that he holds for WWE. Um and the bottom line is is it's really poor advice because if you ask for your release, Titus, what are you going to do? You know, I mean this is this is the best spot that Titus O'Neil has been in in his entire career. Don't screw it up. Don't piss off the wrong people. Uh and hopefully for Titus' sake he can come back and um and right the wrong. Whatever wrong it may be and whatever you think. Uh, clearly he screwed up here in the eyes of uh of Vince McMahon and uh, and he's got to make it right. Maybe he can send Vince some flowers uh, for Valentine's Day.
3: <laughs> Maybe another nice snazzy tie. Yeah, he seems to like his ties these days. So.
2: Oh man, I love those ties too. By the way, for people, because I I was asking for the longest time, I was tweeting at Vince, trying to figure out what the hell those ties were. And uh, Bruce Pritchard uh, actually works on reality of wrestling. He produces um, a lot of the segments that myself and Brad Gilmore are in. We all got together this past weekend, and we figured out what the Vince ties are. They're called a contrast knot. So anybody that's a fan of the Vince ties. Google Contrast Knot, and you can find yourself Vince Tie. So
3: there you go. yeah, Vince McMahon, a trendsetter at the age of 70. Goodness. He
2: is. I got three. I got three. I did. Um, (laughs) All right. So let's move on to talk about some other news uh, regarding WrestleMania, and that is The Undertaker. There's still a lot of speculation regarding what is going to happen with The Undertaker. He's not going to face Braun Strowman. That was a rumor that was out there. It's now been shot down. Um, I prayed hard enough that my prayers were answered. The Undertaker will not be wrestling a tree at WrestleMania. But here's <laughs> one guy who I think would be a fantastic opponent for The Undertaker at WrestleMania. And now, according to the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, that man, Kevin Owens, has pitched backstage and made a hard pitch that he wants to face the dead man at WrestleMania 32. But according to these reports, that isn't happening mo how do you feel about this first of all would kevin owens be a good opponent and second of all if it isn't happening should wwe reconsider
3: well it's an interesting one in that kevin owens since he debuted um spring of last year has really really impressed everyone hasn't he um has had so many great matches really carried himself like a a big time player and um More recently, I mean, the booking of Kevin Owens hasn't been particularly fantastic, but um, he's managed to ride through that reasonably well, and he still comes across as one of the bigger stars within the company. It is a bizarre thing, though, isn't it? Because the WWE is so short of... Um, headline acts. Who else have they really got who, uh, can wrestle against, um, The Undertaker and have a, a meaningful match that the fans would actually give a shit about? There are hardly anyone. I mean, they might now decide, well, actually, let's, uh, reprise, um, Kane against The Undertaker for the thousandth time. Um, but God, the fans will just shit all over that. Oh, that, that would just be the worst thing. But my real fear is, is that that's where they'll go now because, where else can they go? I mean, they haven't got Cena to come back. Um, it's highly unlikely that he'll be back for WrestleMania. Seth Rollins won't be around. Randy Orton's out of the picture. And um, unless they somehow manage to decide, well, let's bring Kurt Angle back and um, have him as um, the opponent for The Undertaker, I can't think of any other big name out there, um, either on the roster or outside of it. Um that most fans would actually see as a credible opponent for The Undertaker at this stage. And again, that's an indictment on the WWE that they just have failed completely to adequately build up new talent. They knew that this WrestleMania would be taking place um, and be a record-breaking crowd to uh, witness it. And they've had all year um, to find a suitable opponent and build that opponent up so that Come WrestleMania, um, that opponent would be seen as a credible threat and a credible opponent for The Undertaker. But they've just failed miserably. And I just don't know where they're going to go with this guy now.
2: You know, here's my big question. If if the reports are true that WWE are not keen on this idea, then why would they bring Kevin Owens in and immediately put him in a program with John Cena that he ultimately wins? His first match in WWE – and he beats in a great match mind you he defeats their biggest star in the last decade and now they're saying if these reports are true they're essentially saying by denying Kevin Owens this opportunity that he's not on the same level as the undertaker well i think the same powers that be in wwe would argue that john cena is on the same level as the undertaker so that doesn't that, that seems very haphazard to me it doesn't make any sense at all Why would you not grant this guy the opportunity, especially if you're going to bring him into the company and you're going to build him as a huge heel by having him work with John Cena, but he's not of the caliber to where he's worthy of working with The Undertaker? Didn't The Undertaker work a match last year with Bray Wyatt? Right now, I would argue that Kevin Owens is a bigger star for the company than Bray Wyatt is. I mean, he's certainly been booked better than Bray
3: Wyatt has. Yeah, uh It's a completely bizarre one. And again, it just makes you wonder what the long-term vision of the company really is. Is it about elevating young talent um, who may not look a certain way? Or is it about sticking with the Vince McMahon formula that talents have to be six foot plus and 250 pounds of muscle and roided to the gills? And if that's still the case, then why even bother with NXT? Seriously, because um, most of the guys, the girls on, on the NXT roster, don't fit this um, archetype or this template that Vince McMahon loves. And um, it's just an absolutely crazy, crazy thing and a crazy situation. And it just makes the whole product seem really disjointed. And that's why, again, it's hard for fans to mostly invest in characters when there's this yo-yo booking where one week – Um, somebody's being put over strong and then next week um, they're just being treated as an afterthought and um, that that just um, is another reason yet another reason as to why they're really struggling to get talent over
2: yeah and and the thing that doesn't make any sense to me about this either and and we'll parlay into this other part of of Wrestlemania and this has a lot to do with what we're talking about right now in terms of being creative putting Kevin Owens in a match with The Undertaker is creative it's something that I think the most, most of the fans would want to see. They'd like to see it a hell of a lot more than Undertaker versus Kane, a hell of a lot more than Undertaker versus Braun Strowman. So today, there was a an investor call for the uh, fourth quarter earnings to be reported of WWE. And on that call, Vince McMahon answered questions regarding injuries and WrestleMania 32. And let me just read this to you because this is directly from the report. WWE, amidst its fourth quarter 2015 investors call, had Vince McMahon on the line. He was asked about the recent string of WWE injuries and how the company will be able to pull off a good WrestleMania 32. Vince's response, quote, by being creative. We'll have an awesome WrestleMania. It'll be very attractive to our audience, just as attractive as last year, end quote. By being creative, Mo. He's going to do this by being creative. Here's Kevin Owens, a guy that you brought into the company. You had beat John Cena. Here's Kevin Owens, a guy who was a former U.S. champion. Here's Kevin Owens, a guy that you want to be the future of your company, at least as a heel. But uh, they don't see him on the same level as The Undertaker. But this is going to be a good WrestleMania, according to Vince, because we're going to be creative.
3: (laughs) Um, Goodness. Uh, Clearly Vince doesn't watch his own product then, because if he did, he'll see that um, creativity is probably the last thing you can label at the WWE product at the moment. Um, It's, you know, very notable for its lack of creativity. Um, It's just uh, really, as we talked about earlier, sterile products where um, creativity is a real, real struggle um, because everything's so predictable, everything is so mundane, everything is so um, neutralized in that, Nobody is allowed to really come across as really, really strong. There's so much parity booking. One week, one guy wins. The next, the next week, the other guy wins. So it's all 50-50. And um, it, it's just absolutely not the kind of thing that uh, we want to be hearing from this We want to be hearing some really tangible things about what they'll do. And just saying, oh, yeah, we'll be creative is just not good enough. It's just meaningless talk because all the evidence is that the WWE really, really struggles to be creative, and I don't know exactly why. I mean, I can speculate that with two, you know, two dozen writers, um, there's so many people there um, involved in the process that um, you know they're all you know trying to one up one another, and in the end, um, everyone has to disagree with one another, and as a result of that. Um, none of the good ideas get through. Um, and so we just get this safe, predictable booking for TV week in, week out. And, um, you know, it's so glaringly obvious um, that they need to go in a slightly different direction. And they don't even need to look that far because if they look at their NXT product, they will see that actually actually um, sticking to basics and fundamentals can still deliver a very interesting, exciting, and engrossing product. And, yeah. um, and, and uh, Vince, Vince just, um, uh, again, yet again demonstrates that A, he's out of touch with the business and B, he's completely deluded if he thinks that, um, you know, A, they're creative and B, they will be creative, um, to make WrestleMania special because yeah. all the evidence suggests that won't be the case.
2: I completely agree. Last thing that I'll say, uh, on, on this subject before we move on is, is basically this. Um, What else can The Undertaker provide for you at this stage in his career? His job primarily should be to get over younger talent. It should be to lay the groundwork for the next star of the company. I thought for sure WWE was going to do this when The Undertaker faced Bray Wyatt at WrestleMania last year. They didn't do it. Now, there are people who will argue with me and say, well, Bray getting to work with The Undertaker should be enough. Well, we've seen in the last 11 months that it hasn't been enough because Bray Wyatt is in no better of a position in the company today as a character than he was before he faced The Undertaker at WrestleMania last year. Now, if Bray Wyatt beats The Undertaker at WrestleMania 31 and is continued to be booked correctly as a strong character going forward on the product, then guess what? In the face of all these other guys that you have injured, you have another guy that you can use in a main event program this year at WrestleMania, and Bray Wyatt. But Bray Wyatt's not a main eventer anymore. He's not a main eventer anymore because he didn't beat The Undertaker last year and because he hasn't been booked well since then. And that right there is proof that just sharing the ring with another guy who's a legend doesn't necessarily make the guy. They either have to trade wins, they have to have a long program together, or something else has to happen unless you're going to have one match. And if you have one match, he's got to win that match. Bray Wyatt didn't do it. Here we are once again. You have The Undertaker coming into WrestleMania. Some have suggested that maybe The Undertaker will skip WrestleMania. WrestleMania is in his home state. WrestleMania is in Dallas. He's going to be at WrestleMania. He has to be at WrestleMania. It's an injury-depleted roster. This is a moment in time in which WWE would happily welcome just about any past legend back into the ring, including Stone Cold Steve Austin, if he would just be willing to work. He's not. So they're going to have The Undertaker work. And my fear is they're going to have him work Kane. And it's going to be a freaking disaster when it happens. It's not good news. Uh, One one last little piece of information I want to get to uh, before we get into our our quick uh, Raw recap as well. A lot of news out there. We've talked in the last uh, two weeks about Lucha Underground. Uh, Episode 3 aired last night on the El Ray Network. And um, Rey Mysterio is now a part of Lucha Underground. But there are already rumors out there that Rey Mysterio is actively seeking a return to WWE if they will grant him a lighter schedule. Now, we know, as we've said, uh, WWE is injury depleted right now. They'd probably be happy to have a talent, uh, the caliber of Rey Mysterio come back, somebody that they would be able to brand and market to the Latino community, which is what they're trying to do with Kalisto right now. Could even set up a Kalisto-Rey Mysterio confrontation. I'm not sure exactly what his contract is, what his contractual obligations are with, um, with Lucha underground. uh, So if it would be possible for Mysterio to even return at WrestleMania, but um, what a Ray Mysterio return. Do, uh, do anything for WWE Mo?
3: Not really. No, no, I'm afraid not. Um, In his most recent WWE run, he really meant uh, nothing. Absolutely nothing. Um, the fans really were not very interested in him. Um, he didn't really get over all that great. Um, his matches were fine, but nothing outstanding. Certainly not on a par with um, some of his work from um, his peak years. Um, you know, he's. I think he's over 40 years of age now. Uh, injuries have certainly caught up with him. He's still um, somebody who can go and have a good match. Um, and he's still, you know, a very uh, noticeable, uh, very familiar wrestler um, if people switch on the TV. Uh, but really, the WWE needs to more than ever be looking at investing in youth and um, creating its superstars of the future, rather than constantly looking at the past. And. Um, Now, I have talked about, yes, WWE should look at bringing one or two people back like Kurt Angle, but Kurt Angle is somebody who I would suggest needs to be brought back as a part-timer. And the only way I can justify Rey Mysterio coming back is as a part-timer. And I understand that um, WWE, if they are to bring him back, would have to bring Rey Mysterio back as a part-timer because that's what he's interested in. He doesn't want to go back on the road, um, Working, you know, twenty dates uh, a month, um, twelve months a year, and if WWE can accept that, then he could well end up back in the WWE. However, if they say no, you have to go uh, back on the road full time. You can't be a part timer. Then I think that Rey Mysterio will continue to work in Lucha Underground um, and possibly work in AAA as well.
2: You know, uh, I'm I'm sure that Rey Mysterio is looking to get WWE money, and I think a a lot of that is what's um, dictating his decision-making when it comes to this. In terms of being uh, creative and I think what's best for his character at this point, if that's something that even matters to him, and I don't know whether it does or not, uh, sticking with Lucha Underground and, and the work that they're doing, I think would be far better for him at this point. I also think that it reaches more of his core audience and fan base as well, is is being a part of Lucha Underground through season two, if it's not all taped already, which I assume it, it might be, and um, and into season three.
3: Yeah, I, as, you go, as I said... Um... They need to be looking to the future, and somebody like Kalisto is the future. Um, he's a really, really exciting talent. He's very similar to what Rey Mysterio was in the WCW Cruiserweight era of nearly 20 years ago now. And... Um, Ray Mysterio now is a guy whose knees are completely shot, wrestles in you know, these heavy braces on his knees, um, has had numerous knee operations. And um, if he were to return, um, he'd be working um, a style that would look almost primitive in comparison to the more state-of-the-art style um, that we see from Kalisto. Um, so other than to come in and put him over, I really don't see what real purpose it would serve uh, to bring Rey Mysterio back. And uh, I'm afraid that uh, with all due respect to him, because he is a bona fide legend in the business, um, his time in the WWE is, it has to be done, I'm afraid.
2: Yeah, Um, I have to agree with you on that one. I mean, again, if you're going to do it, it's got to be for a special appearance or something like that. But um, over the long term, I don't think it's going to work. Okay, let's move on and talk about Monday Night Raw. We're just going to briefly kind of recap some of the moments that took place on Monday Night Raw. First of all, overall impressions of this show. Now, again, to add some context here, we're on the road to WrestleMania. So the time is, is is come now where WWE needs to start formulating their storylines, kind of giving us an idea of what we can expect to see, maybe even announce some matches. I came away from this Monday Night Raw. If you take out the Daniel Bryan stuff, and it's kind of hard to remove that, but if you remove the Daniel Bryan stuff from the show, yet another show featuring Brock Lesnar. I think they once again wasted an opportunity here, wasted a Brock Lesnar appearance I came away from this show looking at the stories that were told between them talking about Daniel Bryan and the Daniel Bryan retirement. I came away from this more confused than I was a week prior. I thought there were some good moments in the show. But overall, I felt like they dropped the ball once again. What do you think?
3: Yes, it was, again, a show which lacked in, there's that word again, creativity, um, very safe booking, very predictable stuff nothing that really captured the imagination, nothing that really made you sit up and really um, pay attention to what was being uh, put out there on TV, other than for the segment right at the end, I'm afraid. Uh, That said, compared to recent Raw's, I thought it was one of the better ones. And um, the opening segment, um, whilst it was so predictable uh, where it was going to go, to the extent they were almost um, blatantly just... um, you know, talking about you know how that whole segment would end up. Uh, it was still was still not too bad, and um, you know, Steph and uh, you know, uh play their parts particularly well. Um, but yeah, it's it just um, feeling slightly flat in a way. In that uh, Brock Lesnar up until now has felt like a real special deal, and every time he comes out there, it means something. Whereas the last couple of times he's come out on Raw. Um, the segments haven't been all that great, all that inspiring, um, despite Paul Heyman's best efforts. So I really think that WWE needs to look at how it books um, these segments, and uh, they need to make sure that they protect that guy because he's somebody who does move the needle and he's one of the very few in the WWE that you can really say is a bona fide draw. That when he is on TV or when he's on a WWE network live special, um, it certainly pulls in the viewers. And if they make him just another guy. Um, then that would be a complete disaster. So they need to be careful because they can't just take the guy for granted. And if they book him um, poorly uh, on a continual basis, then I'm afraid that um, he'll be no more special um, than most of the mid-carders.
2: And, you know, the other thing that confused me as well is, uh, in the storytelling in the last few weeks, we've seen very little of Triple H, especially in this past Monday Night Raw. We saw very little of the world heavyweight champion. I could understand that to a certain extent. I could say, okay, well, they're they're, they're building Dean Ambrose. They're, they're once again building Roman Reigns. I don't know how much more you need to build Roman Reigns. I mean, they've done just about everything they possibly could do other than allowing him to burn down Titan Towers at this point. Um, they are allowing Brock Lesnar to have some of the spotlight. But then we see the main antagonists in this, being Dean Ambrose and Brock Lesnar going at each other. We see Roman Reigns sort of taking a back seat to a lot of the action. We see Dean Ambrose being the guy who's calling out Brock Lesnar throughout the night. We see Dean Ambrose being the guy that's scrapping with Brock Lesnar. When it comes to the rare on-screen time with the World Heavyweight Champion, we see Triple H not being confronted by Roman Reigns. We see Triple H being confronted by Brock Lesnar. So... You could look at this and say, well, there's some sort of sleight of hand going on by WWE. They're trying to intentionally divert the viewers from what their plan is so that when they arrive at their plan, it's going to be a big surprise when we all still expect Roman Reigns to face Triple H for the championship in the main event of WrestleMania. So what I really feel like is going on here is that WWE is possibly sitting and waiting To see what the reaction of the fans are going to be to these various characters before they make a final decision about whether Triple H and Roman Reigns should face each other. Now, that's me feeling optimistic about it and saying that, okay, they're going to, um, they're going to take another look at this. But at the same time, I think it's also hurting the storytelling. I think it's, it's hurting the build because we're running out of time here. You've got a main event for WrestleMania you've got to build. You've got other matches you've got to build. And, and as it stands right now, I feel very little tension between Roman Reigns and Triple H.
3: Well, I completely agree. Um, it's almost as if they've put it to completely one side um, and will wait until fast lane is over. And um, inevitably, Roman Reigns will emerge victorious from that match uh, one way or the other. And that will lead into um, that uh, big match between he and Triple H. And uh, they'll only have about, what, five weeks, six weeks to build it up. And really, they should be teasing it from now. I mean, you could say, well, actually, that would just make it even more obvious about what will happen at uh, Fastlane. But as we talked about last week, they really, really need to focus – uh, on WrestleMania, in terms of making a special event and making it feel more important than any other show in the calendar year. And um, thus far, they've really struggled to do that. And uh, they will leave themselves precious little time to build that match up into something meaningful. And, and part of me thinks, though, that they don't have faith in themselves about being able to book that storyline in a way that's compelling over more than. Uh, five or six week period and they perhaps feel that they haven't got enough material um to make it interesting um to peak um on the raw prior to wrestlemania and um that that would be concerning because if you think back to the past think back to when triple H and Batista had their simmering program leading into their massive match at WrestleMania some what ten, eleven years ago. Um that was done over what, four, five, six months and that was done perfectly, um, you know, where they were all together um, as, as best of friends. Um, but then that simmering tension boiled over, and um, then it was Batista against Triple H. And it was one of the most um, interesting um, creative bills for a WrestleMania match in, in a long time. And, um, you know, WrestleMania is when they should be at their creative peak, and traditionally there have been, um, but certainly um, last year and absolutely this year, we are really seeing very little evidence of that. And that, that for me, is very worrying.
2: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more uh, because, listen, Vince is answering questions about what are you going to do for WrestleMania by saying, we'll be creative. That's not good enough, man. I mean, you've got 100,000 tickets to sell, and I'm not I'm not certain how many you've sold so far, but I don't think it's anywhere close to 100,000. Uh, this is a real, real challenge for WWE. We'll have to see whether they can overcome it or not. Uh, a couple of other points I, I want to hit on very quickly on Monday Night Raw before we move on. Uh, the Miz had a segment with Chris Jericho, and my takeaway from this was that I feel like right now, other than Paul Heyman, the Miz could be the best on the stick in WWE. Am I right about this?
3: Well, you've certainly got a very good point. I mean, I think you tweeted this past week that um, uh, Miz, in fact, carried that segment. And, I think uh, he did, yeah. You know, considering Chris Jericho is uh, not a bad talk himself, um, that's quite high praise. Um, but that's absolutely deserved because... Uh, the, the Miz um, is is extremely underrated as a talker, and um, you know certainly in the last several years he's been portrayed as almost like a comedy figure, somebody who um, hypes himself up, you know, bigs himself up, and um, when he's doing that in front of anybody um, that's more than just a, a comedy figure, um, he put in his place very very rapidly. And I think that's um, doing a disservice to him because I think certainly from the guy who we saw as a WWE champion some five years ago, six years ago, um, he's actually come a long way. Uh, as a talker, as you just said, he's one of the very best now. And I think even as a worker, um, he's he's pretty solid as well. So, you know, in a time when they are struggling for um, headline acts, Maybe they should consider um, giving The Miz another chance um, and perhaps after WrestleMania um, getting behind him and pushing him and uh, trying to do something other than um, laying comedy with The Miz because if they do that, uh, they might just be onto something.
2: Yeah, and, you know, uh, Brad and I had a conversation about this the other day on our podcast, Your Opinion Doesn't Matter?, uh, in which Brad had pointed out that even when uh, The Miz was doing those segments with Damian Sandow, which everybody loves so much, um, it was The Miz who was doing all the wrestling. I mean, he was he was the guy that was doing the majority of the work. And it was Sandow that was getting all of this credit, and, and it was deserved credit because he was very entertaining. But The Miz had a huge hand and part to play in that as well. This is a guy that's been aware of many hats in WWE over his last almost 11 years in the company. I mean, think about it. This guy's over a 10-year veteran in the company. And I think at some point, uh, as fans, I think The Miz at least deserves an opportunity for people to look past the reality show stuff and say, Hey, listen, I think this guy has done enough to earn our respect and that segment just really stood out to me because Miz TV's never been the most exciting thing in the world just because it's another one of those long segments that drags on throughout WWE's Monday Night Raw. But I've got to say that in recent weeks, The Miz has been doing a fantastic job of making those segments mean more than they used to, and um, a lot of the talking that goes on on Raw is just not that good. And the fact that you're sharing a stage with Chris Jericho to help push along a storyline and help build a guy that's not even in the ring in the time as in AJ Styles. And he did a far better job than either AJ or Chris Jericho has done on the mic themselves so far of getting AJ over. I thought it was fantastic.
3: Yeah, it was certainly a very good segment. And um, to give credit to WWE, there was actually an element of creativity in that segment in that they they changed the, uh, Interview segment from Ms. TV to um, the uh, highlight reel—is it called?
2: Highlight reel, yeah.
3: Right. Okay. So um, that that was that was slightly clever. So that was good.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, the um, the last thing that really I'll I'll say about Monday Night Raw is that um, I am almost one hundred percent sure now that we are going to have a Divas Triple Threat match between Becky Lynch, Charlotte and uh Sasha Banks at WrestleMania. Do, do you disagree with that?
3: Well I was hoping it would be um Sasha having the spotlight to herself um and competing against Charlotte for the title. Um but yeah I mean this they continue to push um they continue to push young um Becky Becky <laughs> I keep yeah. forgetting her name. Um and um that that certainly seems to suggest that if they don't um end that at uh fast lane, uh, it could lead into a triple threat, as you say, at WrestleMania. But my strong, strong preference would be uh for Sasha and, um whoever the champion is, um, to be competing in a singles match one on one.
2: Few weeks away, so I came up with a nutty idea. It was all sorts of countdowns, and we could have counted down our favorite WrestleManias, but instead, what I thought we would do is, because we don't know what we're going to see at this WrestleMania in terms of matches and matchups. We have no idea yet. So I thought over the next few weeks, myself and Mo Chatra could count down our top five matches in WrestleMania history. So Mo, this week I'm going to give you my number five, and next week you can give the listeners your number five. How's that sound?
3: Sounds like a great idea.
2: Fantastic. All right. Well, here we go. Uh, I've considered a lot of different matches. A lot of matches. Some which are still gonna still gonna be on uh, on my list. And uh, I just want to say, you know, one of my honorable mentions for sure has to be Gold Dust versus Rowdy Piper and the the Backlot Brawl, the Hollywood Backlot Brawl. Uh, just kidding, obviously. It had it had footage of the O.J. Simpson uh, Bronco chase, though, in case anybody remembers that. But um, For me, number five on my list has to be a match from my youth that I will always remember fondly. It was the last match for Bret Hart at a WrestleMania until he returned in jean shorts so many years later. And it was the match that made Stone Cold Steve Austin the superstar that we know him to be today. And I'm talking about Stone Cold. Versus Bret the Hitman Hart, WrestleMania 13, 1997, when Stone Cold in the sharpshooter passed out from bleeding and guest referee Ken Shamrock had to call the match. This match had everything. It had a double turn. This match had everything. It had Bret the Hitman Hart turning heel. It had Stone Cold Steve Austin turning face in the blink of an eye, earning the admiration of the crowd. And what was an overwhelming, or I'm sorry, underwhelming WrestleMania, this match for sure saved that show, in my opinion. And it showed us that uh, Bret Hart is one of the best storytellers in the history of the business. It also showed us that Stone Cold Steve Austin is far more than just a utility guy. This was by far one of my favorite matches in WrestleMania history, and it's number five on my
3: list. That's a great, great pick. Um, what a match. I mean, our Anfield Index Channel uh, leader, um, the main man himself, Gags, has often talked about the um, slight absence or less emphasis on storytelling in matches. And that 's one of the great all time great examples of um, storytelling in a match about this um, this uh, rebellious up and comer against the uh, veteran and um, the veteran becoming increasingly desperate to win the match and resorting to some um, cheap tactics that he'd employed in his younger days as part of the Hart Foundation um, to try and get the win one way or the other. And that, in turn, um, helped to get sympathy for um, that young, cocky, uh, upstart rebel in Stone Cold Steve Austin. And that was beautifully done. It was about as perfectly executed a a match from a storyline perspective as you could ever wish to see one of the all-time great WrestleMania matches, one of the most significant and important matches, so that's a great pick.
2: Yeah, I've got to say, you know, this is, in my opinion, one of the most important matches in the company's history. I mean, Bret Hart had been the WWFs at the time, defining babyface for about five, five or six years at that point. He was a good guy almost the entire time up to that point. And Steve Austin was just this brutal, badass antagonist that was terrorizing Bret Hart and the Hart Foundation and everybody (laughs) for a year up up to this point. And um, they did a masterful job of positioning Bret Hart. Um, in this matchup as like a relentless predator that's trying to put down Stone Cold Steve Austin once and for all. He's this dog that was let off the chain, and I'm going to do everything I can to put him away. He's targeting his knees, targeting his hamstring. He wraps the figure four on him around the post. And then you've got all this going on, and here's the real blueprint for guys like me who grew up wanting to be a wrestling commentator. This, to me, is Jim Ross's best work. If you listen to Jim Ross's commentary in this matchup, it's absolutely masterful. Jim Ross makes Stone Cold Steve Austin seem like such a sympathetic character as this match goes on, as he's bleeding. And he, he, he'll do everything he can not to let Bret Hart win, including passing out instead of actually quitting. And when this thing is over, Austin becomes the hero, Bret Hart becomes the villain. I don't think a double turn has ever been done better than this than it was done in this match. So I think it definitely has to be on everybody's short list when it comes to best matches in WrestleMania history, if maybe best matches of all time.
3: Mm, Absolutely. One of the all-time great WWE matches, that's for sure. No doubt.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, let us know what you think. You know, you can tweet at the show anytime you want, at PW underscore index. That's at PW underscore index on Twitter. Give us your short list for top five matches in WrestleMania history. Next week, Mo gives you his number five. All right, we've got some great Twitter questions once again from the listeners. Thanks to everybody who participated this week. Let's get it started. Our first comes from Nathan Stalker at Voice of Nathan on Twitter. Thanks for listening to the show as always, my friend. He says that if Y2J and AJ Styles fight at Fastlane, could the Miz interfere leading to a triple threat match at Mania? Could it happen? I think it absolutely could happen. Is it something that people would want to see? Now, I just put The Miz over pretty hard, but I'm not so sure if I want to see AJ Styles in a triple threat match at WrestleMania. What do you think, Mo? What would be the best way to use all of these guys at Mania?
3: Well, um, AJ Styles is certainly somebody who I'm a bit unsure about in terms of the way he's been booked thus far. Um, he came in with a tremendous reaction at Royal Rumble, um, but um, the way he's been booked thus far uh, was certainly not equate um, in terms of um, that initial um, uh, debut. And I think that the fact that he's been booked with The Miz, albeit we've just been praising him, he's nonetheless a guy who's been um, an undercard comedy performer uh, for several years now. And the fact that he's in a program with AJ Styles is is not really great for trying to get AJ Styles over as a potential headline actor, main eventer. Um, so my preference would be... Uh, for this to actually conclude at Fastlane and for the WWE to then move in a different direction with AJ Styles. And if they aren't going to do anything with Kevin Owens against The Undertaker, perhaps to move in that direction and have Owens and AJ Styles. Because whilst they are both guys are in certain way, um, almost an even kill in terms of um, star uh, quality within the overall roster. Um, as workers, they are of the very, very best in the company right now, and they would certainly have uh, uh, an incredible match on the show if they are given enough time. So if nothing else, allow um, AJ Styles to do what he does best and go out there and have an incredible match, and who better to have that match with than against Kevin Owens? So that would be my preference for him to go in that type of direction.
2: I wouldn't mind that at all. I'd love to see Kevin Owens and AJ Styles work a program together at WrestleMania. I think it'd be an incredible match, especially if you give those guys 15 to 20 minutes to tell a story. We don't even know how many matches are going to be on the card right now. I wouldn't mind seeing them go for a half hour or longer, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, But what do you do with Chris Jericho? Because Chris Jericho's sticking around through May. He's going to be at WrestleMania. What do you do with him? Do you put him in a program directly with The Miz?
3: Well we just talked a bit earlier on about um, the lack of opponents for the undertaker. Well, um, who better to have a match with the undertaker than uh, one of the most established and recognizable names on the roster at the moment, Chris Jericho. Now Jericho um, and the undertaker, certainly size wise, a big discrepancy, but then um, actually Kevin Owens and, um, Chris Jericho are not that far apart size wise, especially around the midsection these days. But, uh, <laughs> uh, nonetheless, um, Chris Jericho is—it's it's, it's is, what I
2: like to call a super dad bod.
3: <laughs> it's it's an impressive super dad bod, that's for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, Chris Jericho is. Um, A very, very accomplished wrestler. He can have a great match with more or less anyone. And um, given the shortage of realistic opponents, uh, Chris Jericho's about as good a name as I can come up with if they don't want to use The Undertaker to put over one of the younger guys like Kevin Owens. So let's those two guys go at it. And that gives Chris Jericho somebody who's very, very meaningful um, going into WrestleMania. Obviously, that leaves The Miz out on a limb. But I think that they can do something with him after WrestleMania. And perhaps The Miz can take part in uh, the annual uh, Andre the Giant Battle Royal.
2: Ah, well, there you go, uh, which I which I still believe Mark Henry is going to be winning, by the way. It will be his his send-off, but we'll see. Um, okay, here's our next question. It comes from Ike at Illini Hockey 3 on Twitter, regular listener to the show. Thanks for listening and for tweeting your question, Ike. Ike asks, most likely NXT appearance at WrestleMania or the Monday Night Raw after? Samoa Joe, Sami Zayn, Finn Balor, Bailey, or one of the NXT tag teams? What do you think, Mo? Who will be the most likely to appear?
3: I would like to think Finn Balor. Um, He's someone who we've been talking about for a long time. In fact, since this podcast started and been speculating about when would be the best time for him to debut. And I think I talked probably about six months ago now about um, the Raw after WrestleMania being the ideal time for him to make his long-awaited main roster debut and um, it would be perfect timing from my perspective because he's defending the NXT title just two days prior to WrestleMania at the uh, TakeOver show in Dallas, and um, it'd perhaps be fitting for him to drop the title there and um, to then move on to debut at uh, the Raw after WrestleMania, and that would be ideal because... The Roth WrestleMania traditionally um, attended by huge numbers of fans from UK, Ireland, and Europe, and um, you can absolutely guarantee that if he were today be in front of that crowd, he would probably get the biggest reaction of the night. Um, so that entrance in front of that crowd would be absolutely five-star television. So that would be the ideal thing from my perspective.
2: I'll tell you what, what I'd like to see, and, and honestly, don't count this out. Um, Ike, what I would like to see is Samoa Joe at WrestleMania, and I'll tell you exactly how you could do this. Uh, AJ Styles and Chris Jericho have another classic at Fastlane. Styles is about to get over. When out of the crowd comes this brute. The fans are popping hard, and Samoa Joe interferes and starts beating the literal shit out of AJ Styles. Not like those two don't have any history between each other. What Mm -hmm. a matchup that would be at WrestleMania to have Samoa Joe make his WWE debut against AJ Styles in front of 100,000 people in Dallas.
3: There you go. Absolutely. You're quite right. They've got <laughs> quite the history. Um, fought against each other in Ring of Honor in TNA on numerous occasions. Had many, many um, absolutely fantastic matches against each other. Have really, really good chemistry in the ring between one another. And if you want a guaranteed um, great match for WrestleMania, then you almost – cannot go wrong with those two against each other Uh, but yeah that that would be another really good scenario Um, Samoa Joe on his day is is just a fantastic talent and um, I've been slightly underwhelmed actually by his running um, NXT and I think that he partly feels that um, he he deserves to be on the main roster and I, I can really I sympathize with that point of view because he's such a talented guy and he's proved himself over so many years. And, you know, he's um, similar in age to AJ, maybe a year or two younger. Um, but now is the time um, to really bring him through. And um, at a time when the main roster is uh, really depleted, um, Samoa Joe certainly can carry himself as a, a credible headline act.
2: Yeah, uh, I, I have no doubt at all. And uh, and I think that would be the best time to do it. There's so much talent. That's the that's that, that's the thing is, you know, Vince again, hate to beat a dead horse here, but Vince says, well, we're gonna make WrestleMania special by being creative. You wanna be creative? You got all these guys down at NXT that all these fans that are flying in from all corners of the world who are all familiar with are waiting. You should incorporate them in one way or another at WrestleMania I know they're going to be incorporated in WrestleMania weekend with the NXT TakeOver event, but my goodness, the possibilities are endless. This WrestleMania 32 could really be about the new blood in WWE. If, if Vince is serious about being creative, those guys are available to you. One of them is definitely Samoa Joe. Another one is definitely Finn Balor. Well, thanks to everybody for the, uh, the questions this week. Uh, make sure to tweet at the show. We will feature your questions and comments. Each and every week at pw underscore index, Mo. Another great show on the books. Before we get out of here, though, there was some news regarding CM Punk. Now it is MMA related, but we've talked about CM Punk a little bit on this show. Mickey Gall was victorious in the UFC prelims last week, which is setting up a Mickey Gall versus CM Punk match at either UFC 199 or UFC 200. Two days after this takes place, CM Punk announces. He has to have back surgery. How convenient. What was your reaction to this news when you heard about this? And do you think that CM Punk will ever actually step into an octagon to fight?
3: Well, I'm skeptical. Um, I think that the UFC realizes he's in no way cut out to compete um, as a credible UFC fighter if he was, he would have debuted a long time ago. Um, you know, he's been within, uh, UFC and been training to eventually compete, uh, for a long, long time now. And, um, I think he saw, um, Mickey Gore and, um, had one look at just how impressive his, um, stand up fighting is and, uh, got very scared. And, uh, that little niggle he had in his back, he thinks, well, actually, let's correct that and uh, buy myself another few months um, to try and improve myself. I think that he can spend another two or three years trying to improve himself, and he still won't be a UFC fighter. And um, he's, he's somebody who's, in fact, um, losing a lot of credibility as time goes on, um, especially over his cheap shots at the WWE and wrestling. You know, as we talked about, and we have talked to him on several occasions, um, it's wrestling and the WWE that have created this opportunity for him in the first place. And it's WWE and wrestling that has helped him to earn the money to pay for, um, you know, all the training and the trainers and the training camps that he's been taking part in, um, since he was announced as coming into the UFC. I think if he does fight in the UFC, no more than two fights. And, um, I, I highly doubt that um, he'll win either of the fights, and at that point, everyone will realise he's not cut out for this thing, and he'll have to leave and uh, move on to something else. And at that point, it'll be interesting to see what he does. He'll either come back with his tail between his legs, asking for a job um, to Vince McMahon, or he might just say, "Actually, I just don't want anything to do with the wrestling business. I'll just, um, I'll just stick to, you know, drawing." comics and um, attending conventions and uh, being a bitter old has-been. And, um, you know, certainly (laughs) um, he he fits the bill these days in that respect.
2: Well, you know, I mean, they say in this business, never say never. But, um, you know what, he may be the exception. This guy's burned so many bridges over there at this point, still uh, pending litigation regarding some of the other things that he said. And here's the interesting part about this. Part of what he said He admitted in that Cole Cabana interview that he sustained a concussion at one of the shows. Now, a 34-year-old star that came up in the Indies with him, Daniel Bryan, just retired because of concussions. This guy is going on 38, 38 years old and entering a sport for the first time where not only do you get punched in the head, but you get punched in the head with the intent of actually concussing you. I don't see things going very well. For CM Punk, if you ask me, I think what he's trying to do here is he's trying to parlay his interest in fighting into a commentating gig similar to Joe Rogan. The difference is is that when Joe Rogan came into this, he wasn't fainting and telling people that he had any intentions of fighting. He was just training because he wanted the other fighters to respect him. And because of that, he did earn the respect of many fighters and then proved that he could also be an outstanding analyst and color commentator. CM Punk, on the other hand, I think is just skipping from one stone to the next, hoping that he can hang on long enough to make some sort of career out of whatever it is that he wants to do post-WWE. Best decision CM Punk's made in a long time was being smart with his money because, as it turns out, he may end up losing both opportunities. That's to make money in WWE and now to make money in UFC. I don't see this fight happening, and I know that um, he's said that other fighters have come back in six weeks from uh, the type of surgery that he's having. The guy's pushing 40 years old. He's never had a professional fight in his life. And Mickey Gall just choked out his opponent 45 seconds. That guy didn't look like he was messing around. And I don't think it would take him very long to put CM Punk down as well. And I think CM Punk seriously reevaluated his decision after he watched that and uh, made the decision that, oh, now I need to have back surgery. So um, I don't know. I could be wrong. I don't think I am. Uh, but, um, anyway, another great show on the books, my friend. Man, that just flew right by, didn't it?
3: Oh, absolutely, yeah. No, we had plenty to talk about. Uh, lots of really interesting things happening this week. And, um, yeah, we're into WrestleMania season. So, from here for the next two months, it's going to be nonstop. So, uh, exciting times ahead, my friend.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Any uh, Before we get out of here, Mo, any, any new news on the, uh, the independent scene in the U.K.? Any shows coming up you plan on seeing or anything you want the listeners to know about?
3: Well, um, I'm attending a couple of shows in um, the beginning of March, a um, couple of companies called um, Kamikaze Pro Wrestling and um, another promotion called Southside, and um, they've got some good talents um, uh, booked for their shows. And, um, looking forward to those global force wrestling. Jeff Jarrett's promotion is coming to the UK in March as well. Um, so they'll be featuring obviously, um, Jeff Jarrett as well as the likes of, um, Magnus, um, who uh, used to formerly compete in TNA as well as Doug Williams. Um, so lots of, uh, very exciting things going on around the UK and, uh, looking forward to going out on the road again.
2: Oh, awesome, man. Well, that's very exciting. Uh, we're also working uh, very hard here on this show to have a couple of uh, great guests coming up, uh, in the, in the coming weeks and, and months ahead for the listeners. And, uh, uh, we'll let you know more about that once we've got some of that scheduled. Uh, if you want to find out more about what I'm doing day to day, you can go to com. I'm going to start doing some exclusive video blogging on there as well. I don't know if the kids still call it video blogging or not. Um, Vlogging, Keep vlogging, is vlogging. Oh, there yeah, vlogging. Yeah, so I'll start doing some exclusive stuff up on there, at dot com. Also, Brad Gilmore and I cranking out shows five days a week: pop culture, sports, sports entertainment, and more. Go to opinionpodcast.com. dot com. It's really kind of incredible, man. We started doing that show eight months ago, and since we started that show, we have been listened to in over 100 countries and all 50 states in the U.S. I don't wow. know who the hell is listening, but uh, to everybody that has, thank you. I know a lot of people from the Anfield Index and the uh, the, the listeners of different AI pods have, have joined on there as well and, and listened to some of the stuff we're doing and supported and tweeted and all that, and I cannot thank everybody enough because it's a labor of love for Brad and I, kind of like this podcast is for you you and i mo and um so just feel really appreciative for it we're going to keep working hard to to entertain everybody so check it out at opinionpodcast.com final thing reality of wrestling is back once again for all of my listeners of this program in texas reality of wrestling returns to our brand new venue the world's gym arena again this month on february the 27th tickets are available now at realityofwrestling.com all of our front row seating is just about sold out already um, and also, I want to let everybody know about something else. We have a really big event coming up at the World's Gym Arena next month, in the month of March. Uh, you can find out more if you go to realityofwrestling.com. We are having a screening of the Jake Roberts movie, the Jake the Snake Roberts movie. You can get tickets there. And guess what? In the house for this will be both Jake the Snake Roberts out Diamond Dallas Page on the same night. So uh, if you want to come out, be a part of this uh, incredible event, Watch the movie with us. Watch the movie next to Jake Roberts and DDP. You'll have the opportunity to do that. Of course, WWE Hall of Famer Booker T will be in the house as well. Go to realityofwrestling.com for that. Other than that, thank you to everybody for listening. Thanks, as always, to Gags for the platform. Thanks to you, Mo. And we'll be back next week for more of the Pro Wrestling Index, right here on the Anfield Index Podcast Network.